This morning, I felt as we continue our series in prayer that I would just take two words from the from the the, the kind of guide to how we were taught how to pray, and it's those two words, "Our Father." And I just feel that the significance of these two words, um, if we really grasp the fullness and the beauty and the wonder of these two words, then it will transform everything. I'm just going to get a book before I start. So I'm hoping that we'll get some time at the end to worship and respond to what I'm going to preach. So first of all, I'm going to read a story. This is a true story. They say that the first time Sawat went to the top floor of the hotel, he was shocked. He had never dreamed it would be like this. Every room had a window facing into the hallway, and in every room sat a girl. Some looked older, and they were smiling and laughing, but many of them were just 12 or 13 years old, some even younger. They looked nervous, even frightened. It was Sawat's first venture into Bangkok's world of prostitution. It all began innocently enough, but soon he was caught up in it like a small piece of wood in a raging river. It was too painful for him, too swift, and the current too strong. Soon he was selling opium to customers and propositioning tourists in the hotels. He even went as low as to actually help buy and sell young girls, some of them only nine or ten years old. It was a nasty business, and he was at one of the most important of the young businessmen. Sawatz became a central figure in one of the world's largest and most loathsome trades, Thailand's sex industry. It is estimated that over 10% of all girls in Thailand end up in prostitution. The top floors of most hotels are used by them, and are the back rooms of many bars. Though the practice is discouraged by the royal family, many poorer rural families sell their young daughters to pay off family debts. Who knows what happens to the many of these frightened 10-year-olds when they have outlived their usefulness. Sawat disgraced his family and dishonoured his father's name. He'd come to Bangkok to escape the dullness of village life. He found excitement, and while he prospered in this sordid life, he was popular, but... Then the bottom of his world dropped out. He hit a string of bad luck. He was robbed, and while trying to climb back to the top, he was arrested. Everything went wrong. The, wo the word spread in the underworld that he was a police spy. He finally ended up living in a shanty by the city rubbish dump. Sitting in his little shack, he thought about his family, especially his father. He remembered the parting words of his father a simple Christian man from a small village near the south of the Malaysian border. I am waiting for you. Would his father still be waiting for him after all he had done to dishonor the family name? Would he receive him after, home after disregarding all he had been taught about God's love? Word had long ago filtered back to his village about his life of crime and sin. Finally, he devised a plan. Dear father, he wrote, I want to come home, but I don't know if you will receive me after all that I've done. I've sinned greatly. Father, please forgive me. On a Saturday night, I'll be on the train which goes through our village. If you're still waiting for me, will you tie a piece of cloth on the po tree in the front of our house? During the train ride, he thought over his life of evil. 
He knew his father had every right to refuse to see him. As the train finally neared the village, he was filled with anxiety. What would he do if there was no white piece of cloth on the poetry? Sitting opposite Sawat was a kind stranger who noticed how nervous his fellow passenger had become. Finally, Sawat could stand the pressure no longer. The story burst out in a torrent of words. He told the man everything. As they entered the village, Sawat said, Oh, sir, I cannot bear to look. Can you watch for me? What if my father will not receive me back home? Sawat buried his face between his knees. Do you see it, sir? It's the only house with a poetry. Young man, your father did not hang one piece of cloth. Look, he covered the whole tree with pieces of white cloth. He could hardly believe his eyes. There was a tree covered, and in the front yard, his old father was dancing up and down, joyously waving a piece of white cloth. His father ran beside the train, and when it stopped at the little station, he threw his arms around his son, embracing him with tears of joy. I've been waiting for you, he exclaimed. Friends, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the big story. You may kind of re recall similarities to the prodigal son. His father waiting for him. This is the story. The father is waiting for each one of us. He's waiting for each one of us. That is the big story. He's waiting for his children to come home, his offspring, to come back to him and be in his family home again. That's what he's asking. He's waiting for you. So as we consider our father, I want to remind you, however far you feel you have fallen and you don't deserve to be in the father's presence, 1 John 2 says this, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Let me read our passage, which I'll be referring to a little bit through this talk. Romans 8, 14 to 16. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. So our Father, that's how the prayer starts, doesn't it? Did you notice in the Apostles' Creed that we sang earlier, the first line is, I believe in God, our Father. This is the first. This is the first thing that we need to get in place. Everything flows from this, our relationship to our Father. So Jesus himself said, pray like this, our Father. But I don't want you to think that this is a sermon about improving your technique 
on praying. It's, it's not even that my desire is to improve your, give you a greater desire to pray. The root of my talk is that you have a deeper relationship with the Father. A deeper, that's what we're saying. He calls us deeper still. I believe for all of us, we can go deeper still into the knowledge of God as our Father. This isn't just for a season that we'll be sharing this. We will repeat this because I believe we need to hear this again and again. God as our Father. Now, so what, Father? Represented God really well, didn't he? He was loving and patient. He was forgiving. He was welcoming. And he had exuberant joy. Now, many of us will have good and healthy relationships with our fathers or authority figures, teachers, parents. But I'm aware that some will not have good models in their life. And I believe all of us, even if we've got great fathers, still have a distorted view of the father. And because understanding who our father is affects everything, I'm, that's why I'm sharing about it, because it will affect how you serve, it will affect how you pray, will affect how you minister to others, how you relate to others. It will reflect your trust in God. But I think how we relate vertically with God will ultimately affect how you relate horizontally to the people around you. And that's why it's so important because, as we know, it says, as love the Lord your God, and then the next line, love your neighbor as yourself. They're intrinsically linked. So I want us to not just see him as a father, I want to see him as our father. This is a personal thing about relationship. We're his sons and we're his daughters. The ultimate goal of the cross and the highest blessing of the gospel is not that we are rescued and forgiven, although that was its purpose, but that we were loved, that we're chosen and adopted as his children into a divine royal family for eternity. Ephesians 2, 18 to 19 says this, For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. So my aim is twofold, really, that we would see our Father more clearly, but also we would see ourselves as sons more clearly, more accurately. And... Um, I know you may have had other talks on this before, and I know that this, there's a danger that this could just be familiar information and um, it informs your mind again and you remember the verses. And it's good to, and I, you know, I want our minds to be transformed and renewed. But this ultimately is a, a heart issue, isn't it? This is about a relationship. And... Us being children 
of God isn't just a legal position for us all. This isn't just a statement of faith, although it is. In its very simplest form, we're children who are wanted, who are accepted. And the fire that the Father continues to want deep and meaningful relationship with us each and every day for eternity. So I, I'm aware that about a dozen of us went to a conference a couple of weeks ago called The Father Heart. And I make no apology, apology for regurgitating some of the material that we heard there. I thought it was excellent, and I think the people that were there were blessed. And I could see transformation before my eyes in people that came with us there. And I didn't want just a dozen of us to hear that message. And that's why I'm going to repeat a lot of the things that we heard on that um, one day uh, the other week. So as we think of our Father... This isn't just the way that we are to address God, like a formal way of opening a prayer like, Dear Sir, it's, we, we really want us to consider what those two words mean, our Father. I want us to not move on too quickly. I want us to ponder the real significance of those two words for us. So in order to us to see God as Father clearly, we need to realize that we might have a faulty image of him and we might have a distorted view of God the Father. And for myself on this day away, I was thinking about my relationship with my dad and I've got a really great relationship with dad. And um, nothing immediately came to mind. And, And then I started just the other day thinking about how I am as a father. And, uh, and that was a very different thing because I could very clearly see my faults. So I'm going to share some of my areas in a moment. First of all, I'm going to put the slide up which Wendy Mann shared. Um, so she put all of these incorrect filters. Now the idea with the filter thing is that Basically, if imagine a couple fighting here. I'm stood over here. Imagine there's my parents, and there's God over there. And I'm trying to see the Father clearly, but I've got this image of my fighting parents in between, and that distorts my image of what the Father's like. And so these are like filters that we can see God in an incorrect way, and their lies. And I saw all of these, and some of these you may relate to, and you may think, actually, that's me. But I thought, for us this morning, I wanted to draw out some different areas. And these areas have come from my own life, and also from the Freedom in Christ course, which we've recently looked at together. So I'm not going to go through these, but I am going to go through the next slide. I'll just say a couple of other things, because when we do this... I felt really kind of, wow, I've failed. And as fathers and parents, you may feel the same. And I want you to know, this is what they said at the conference, that we probably have failed our 
children. And at some point, they may need some prayer and some counselling and some ministry. Get over it. it. Because we are just a pale reflection of our perfect Father. And He is gracious and compassionate, and He can heal the wounds. There's a verse that says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. So if for some of you, you are feeling that you failed or or your, your parents have failed you, I don't want you to make that the focus this morning. I want you to look beyond that and see the perfect father in the distance. Not too far distance. He's here with us, okay? I want you to make that your focus this morning but if it does raise some issues please do talk to someone afterwards and we may be able to work through some different things together so um, I prayed the prayer um, about in Psalm 139 search me O God and know my heart try me and know my thoughts and see if there are any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting it's a dangerous prayer to pray. And um, I encourage you to pray it yourself. If you want to grow and be aware and be just a bit more self-aware of who you are, pray that prayer. So I pray this prayer one morning and just ask God to bring some things of how I have misrepresented the Father. So the first one I had was absent. I know that at times when I was working in my previous job, I was absent. I wasn't around. Came home late regularly. I often missed um, tea time together. And I've asked my children, and they noticed that I wasn't there. And I want you to know that your Heavenly Father is present, He's with you, He is not absent. God is with you. He sees, he knows, and he's there. And I don't want my children looking at the father thinking he's not around. He's he's absent. There's something more important on his agenda than being here. And I was trying to think of other times where I was alone and I felt God was absent. When I was um, about 10 years old, I, uh, I, um, I was on a school trip and I, we went to some slate caverns in North Wales. There was two minibuses. At the end of the day, the two minibuses went. Each minibus thought I was on the other one. And so they travelled about an hour back to the centre and it was getting dark, and I was alone. And, uh, but actually, God the Father was with me there. Looking back, he put a very kind coach driver with me and sat with me for that moment of a couple of hours where I had to wait on my own. Your Father is not absent Whatever your circumstances, your Father is present. 
Matthew 28:20, I am with you always to the end of the age. Psalm 139, where shall I flee from your presence? So busy, the second one. I may have been in the room, but actually, am I just too busy? Am I on my phone? Am I absent emotionally? Am I... Because what does it say when I'm on my phone in the same room with my children? It's basically saying that there's someone else more important than them at that moment. I read uh, something recently about how the average person spends a couple of hours watching TV. And uh, this is an average parent, a couple of hours watching TV a day and uh, maybe three minutes talking to their children. Are you too busy? I want to tell you that God the Father, our Father, he's attentive. 1 Peter 3, 12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. He's so attentive. I love the image of him just on the edge of his throne, looking, scouring, waiting for his children to pray, to speak, to talk to him. He's attentive. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayer. He's not too busy for you. Angry and impatient. This was a hard one. I mean, even this week, Tuesday, I don't know what happened. I probably was stressed about something bigger. That's normally what happens, something bigger. And then something smaller sparks that anger, doesn't it? And it just gets bigger and bigger, and you become impatient. And I did that with one of my daughters this week. It's normally when I've got my own plans, my own agenda, and then my children say, oh, can we do this? And I can't even think about how I'm going to shoehorn that into what I've planned to do. And you start to get angry and impatient. I don't want my children to view their Heavenly Father in the same way. Psalm 145, 8 says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. He's patient and slow to anger. Friends, we need to see our Father in the correct image. It's so important that we don't have these wrong lies and filters. Disappointed and rejected. This one actually wasn't one my children said, but this one I felt. That may be true for some people here. Maybe you feel that you're a disappointment and that you've been rejected by someone in authority. I believe that you need to hear that he is gracious and embracing. As we heard earlier the story, Luke 15, 20 says, but while he was still a long way off, this is the son, the prodigal son, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. He's a waiting father. He's not disappointed. Um, this one denies pleasures of life. Um, I come to sometimes feel that my children think that I am just a killjoy, a fun sponge, just, just removing every joyous thing, event in their lives. I think they think I'm 
refused them to go to parties, to mix with certain friends, not allowed to go to that festival. You get the picture. And I'm sure that they think, why is he just restricting me in everything which is fun? This is a really big one, I think, for us as we approach our Father. Because he lavishly gives you every good gift. He knows exactly what is good for you. He wants you to get to the place where you completely trust his judgment. That you put aside everything and you trust that he gives good gifts to his children. That he will lavish the fruit and the gift of the spirits to him, to you, his sons and daughters each day. But the main thing is actually, he's given of himself. He's the indescribable gift. He is your portion. There's a verse in uh, Lamentations 3 that says, the Lord is my portion. You need to grasp that knowing God, being part of the Trinity, that's your portion. You will not go with wanting He will completely satisfy you. He doesn't deny you the pleasures of life. He's given you life to the full. Amen? Imposes unrealistic expectations. I think my children see me and I set ambitious goals. I have a high standard and they probably feel that it's just even not worth trying to achieve this about behaviour. I did talk to them about all of this, by the way. This isn't a news to them. But I... <laughs> and they said, you know, they, there, is, there is a pressure on how they feel they should behave. There's a pressure for, you know, being compared to others, other children. There's a pressure, especially as I'm the leader of the church, There's a pressure and expectation that they should be a certain way. And I'm their father. Our Heavenly Father doesn't impose unrealistic expectations on you. Everything he gives you, he resources you for. He accepts you just as you are. He loves you now. He loves you in your sin. And he accepts you and he, he's welcoming you. He's waiting for you. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. He's equipped us. Insensitive and uncaring. I'm not painting a very good picture of myself. I realize that. You will still talk to me afterwards. Please. The reason I've done this is because I actually feel I'm, I'm not a bad dad. I'm okay. But actually, when you just scratch beneath the surface... I mean, I did open it up to my children, and the, they actually had a few more than these, but we haven't got time. <laughs> you know, we, we've got a limited time. But the reason I've done this is because even the best dads... I'm not saying the best dad. Even my father, I think he's great. 
But we are just pale reflections. We're just a dim kind of sign of the perfect Father. And we need to see him clearly. We need to see him clearly in order for us to see ourselves clearly because we're made in his image. It's remarkable. So insensitive and uncaring, I often jump to conclusions. I don't know the full picture and I just leap right in. I see what I see and I go, go for it. And my children say, you often don't know the detail. You don't ask about the bigger picture. And I appear insensitive and harsh and abrupt and overwhelming and bombast and rah, rah, rah. Your heavenly father is not like that. Because he knows every detail. He sees it all already. He doesn't jump to conclusions. Because he sees the beginning and the end. He sees it all. You can trust him. But he is not insensitive and uncaring. He's kind, caring and compassionate. You need to know the kindness of God. He's kind, he's good. Isaiah 40, 11 says, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. It's a lovely picture, isn't it? A good shepherd, tending, caring, loving. He knows every detail of your life and he loves you. He knows the hairs on your head. And I think we lose hairs each day, don't we? So he's counting them each day. So he's keeping up with every detail of your life. He knows every detail of your life, every day, every minute. I could go like that, and I've probably lost a couple. Yeah. So the purpose of me opening all this up is not for you to resent your parents or for you to feel you failed as a father or as a parent. It is that... Maybe you come to a place of forgiveness, which actually, interestingly, Dave is going to be speaking on next week, the topic of forgiveness. But I want you to see that your earthly parents, fathers, earthly authoritative figures in your life, they're just signposts. I want you to see beyond them. Even if they're a poor image of the Father, I want you to celebrate that they are an image of the Father. But do not leave it there. Go beyond them and see the great I am, the everlasting Father, who will not let you down or disappoint you in any way. It says of him that he is perfect. In Matthew 5, 48, it says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's perfect. And then in Ephesians 3.14, it says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family or father in heaven and on earth derives its name. So he's the perfect original template of fatherhood. We all have come from him, but he's the original. He's the blueprint. Go to him. So with that in mind, as we hopefully see him more clearly, it affects us, doesn't it? 
because it's our father. And by implication, him being our father, we're his children. So as his children, how should we behave? As his sons and daughters, how should we behave? Simply, we should mimic the son because he's the father's son and we're made in his image and it would be good to copy him. He's our kind of essentially our older brother. And I've seen in my family how they copy each other. They don't like to, but it, this, is, this is the greatest form of, um, what's the word? Sorry. Just, you know, when you copy someone, it, it's, it, it's a good thing, isn't it? And we should be honoured that someone wants to copy us. And Jesus wants us to emulate him. So in John 15.10, it says, I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Listen to that one. And then John 5.19 says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. And John 12, and whatever, and sorry, and whoever sees me sees him who sent me. So from those three verses, I just want to pull out three things. Love, obedience, and basically replication or copying. So we love, just as Jesus loved the Father. We love the Father. We abide, we remain we adore. But a response to our love is we obey. It's not out of duty, it's out of love. So that as the Son obeyed the Father, we obey. Out of loving, trusting, humble submission to our Father. And then thirdly, we replicate, we copy because we're made in his image. We just want to display the family likeness to those around us. We see how the Father graciously relates to those, to us, and then we, in turn, do that to those around us. So there's three things, really. We love, which is up. We worship. We obey, which is kind of in. It's a humble sacrifice. It's not our offering. And then we replicate, we, which is out. We witness. So it's up, in and out. We love, we obey, and we copy. But it does start at loving and abiding in him. Having a correct relationship with the Father is what it's all about. I've said this lots of times, and I'm going to keep saying it. This isn't a means to another end. We're not doing this to get to something else. This is it. This is it. We get to enjoy the Father as children. So although our sermon series is on prayer, this isn't, this isn't a particular angle I've taken on prayer to help us pray. Although we're pushing into seeing more of the miraculous and signs and wonders, this isn't, again, just another angle of way we can see that. I want us to always pursue the miracle maker. I want us to pursue the Father. And then I believe things like prayer and the miracles 
come after, just abiding and loving the Father. But I do believe that, yeah, when we do start to abide in him and love him and see him clearly, our prayer life will be transformed. And we will see the evidence and experience moving supernaturally as we embrace all of our inheritance and what God's got for us here on earth. Last couple of years, we've been as leaders to a conference in Bedford, and I was just reflecting on these two times we've been up there. So we were there last Thursday and Friday, and um, I was just reflecting on the two main speakers from this year and the year before, and what I kind of caught from both of these guys. And... um, you know, they had lots of words. They gave great words. But I, I just caught something from these people, actually. And incidentally, both these guys do move regularly in the supernatural. The guy last year had seen several people raised from the dead and healed. And But what I caught from these guys was their comfort and their ease in their sonship. They were just comfortable in who they were as children of God. And the same with a guy this year. There was just an ease. And they, there was just a joy and a lightness and a humor that came from both of these guys. And I was just pondering... Where did that come from? And I believe it is from them intimately knowing their father and knowing who they are. Because it gives us such freedom when we actually grasp who we are. And for me, watching them as they worshipped, as they spoke, they were just like children. And I just was thinking about it this morning. They, they were like children playing. There was such good fun about them. They were like children playing in their Heavenly Father's back garden. And he wants us all to be like that. He's invited us into the home. He wants you to play in his back garden and enjoy every good gift that he's given you. Eden often jumps on my bed on a Saturday morning and says, let's make pancakes. And uh, what are we going to do today, Dad? That's a regular thing. I like that. And that's how we're to be with our Heavenly Father. What are we going to do today, Father? What adventures are we going to do today, Father? He doesn't want you groveling on your knees confessing your sin, although that is at times necessary. But he wants you to bound in to his presence with freedom. He's made the access clear. We have an advocate, Jesus, our son. He's made the way clear. You can come. Your father's waiting for you. Even if you're in the depths of your sin, he's waiting for you to come. He's exuberantly going to open his arms to you. So our original passage was Romans 8, which said we were once slaves, but now children. The difference between slaves and children, slaves are full of fear. 
we're no longer slaves. We are children. And children are motivated by love, are surrounded by love. There's no longer fear. And from that, we call out Abba Father. We call out our Father. We exist to shine the transforming light of Jesus upon every person we meet. And um, each of us here, we're predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And we're being changed from one degree of glory to another. So I want to encourage you with this line about shining the transforming light. We are representing the father to people. Represent the father to those around you. Show off the family likeness. Don't be embarrassed about dressing the same, speaking the same, doing the same, loving the same as your Heavenly Father.